introduce my best friend, Sarah Jackson. Soon will be Chancellor Sarah Jackson. Yes, she will. It's going to be wonderful, and it's just a perfect thing. Answer your prayer. We talk on the phone every day, and uh, usually now it's getting worse in the canyon. We have to call back all the time. It goes out. Uh, but I think Sarah has worked. At, she worked for the Center for the Family. She built the Center for the Family board, and she knows how to build things. And she has worked in advancement for 14, 15 years, and um, is just the best fundraiser there is. She is truly who she appears, um, which is beautiful inside and out. She knows Jesus. She trusts him. Um, she waits for him, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, she has three grown children. One is Jessica, who lives in Lubbock, Texas with me and is teaching special ed. The second is Joseph who is, has just started a restaurant in Newburgh, Oregon this last month called Trellis. He's a chef. Uh, he's working 24 hours a day. And um, then her third one is Madeline, who is getting her PhD in apologetic theology under N.T. Wright in St. Andrews. Um, and she's beautiful and as smart as she sounds. She worked with Ravi Zachariah Ministries, speaks on university <coughs> campuses um, with their team. Let's see if I, her husband Sam is a fundraiser for World Vision. If you can imagine having two fundraisers in one family, that's another accomplishment <laughs> that nobody understands, including me, how she does it. Um, she started the Women in Leadership Institute in, at Pepperdine and has, has led that just as a sideline because she loves it and she works to empower women. And I think she's just going to be amazing in her next phase. I'm excited about that. Thank you. Sarah Jackson. My next is, chapter. Yeah, yes. your next chapter. Yes. That's Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. I, Hope we don't both end up blubbering, but that was kind of emotional right there. <laughs> but very sweet. I Thank you so good. much. You did really well. Hi, Karen. Come in. People can sit in the front, too. We're starting on time, and we're going to end early. That's yeah. the good news. So um, have faith and hope on that. Um, I'm, I want to introduce Emily, and then she's going to go first this morning. But uh, Emily is just wonderful. If you know her, you love her. Um, I'm so blessed to have her as my big sister, and we're just, you know, we lost our, my sister when she was 49, my sister Marilyn, who was 13 months older than me, so we kind of share that grief, and, uh, and we've just become so much more important to each other since we lost her in 2001. So sisters, if you, as you know, we're just so special. But Emily um, just flew in late last night, uh, so you'll kind of notice that as, as opposed to, how many of you have heard us before? Oh, that's nice. We have return people. That's very that's nice. That's very nice. Very um, gracious. But usually we try to coordinate it and kind of stand up here together and go back and forth. But because she had, she teaches 200 women and 100 children in community Bible study in Lubbock every week. So she's, I said earlier, she's the pro at teaching the Bible. I'm the amateur, but... She does it every week and loves it. She says it's the best job ever. And I think you're in your 17th year or finishing 17 years of doing that. So she's deeply in the word and and just it's a big job to write a lecture on a, on a passage every single week and make it interesting and inspiring. And she does that. She's just so gifted that way. So she had her final of the year, her final session or meeting yesterday morning in Lubbock. So she just got on a plane and flew out here late last night. So we're going to kind of tag team today a little bit differently than we've done 
in the past because we haven't gotten to be together this week to kind of work out the details. Um, so, and some of you know Lucy Perrin, who uh, we're so blessed that Tim's going to come as our senior VP um, on the new team with Jim Gash as president. So uh, she's losing Lucy at, in community Bible study, who was her <coughs> partner and the coordinator of the class. She just loves Lucy. So she's mourning that. I think LCU's mourning losing their president, Tim Perrin. But boy, we are so thankful that we're going to get Tim Perrin and Lucy at Pepperdine. It's just such a blessing. So and I'm looking forward to working with him. Um, Emily has three grown children as well. David is here, Dr. David Lemley, got a doctorate from Fuller Seminary and teaches religion. And his wife, Angie, and Angie's mother is here, Nancy, in our family. And Angie is his uh, wife, and she works in student affairs here at Pepperdine. And then they have three boys, uh, age 13 to 9. So they're busy, and they live here on campus. That's her son, David. And Amy is her daughter who lives in Lubbock, and she teaches in public school there in Lubbock, Texas. And Jeff, her son-in-law, also has a doctorate in ministry from Baylor in religion. And he's the dean of biblical studies at, at, Lub at Lubbock Christian University. So he's, they live close together, and they have three great children. And then he, she has Mark, uh, who lives in Nashville, is married, does not have children, and he works for a variety of nonprofit agencies and then helps to manage a coffee thing, coffee yeah. store in Nashville, Crema. Uh, and then her <coughs> husband Steve used to be, they used to live here, and it was so sad when they moved away, but Steve was the provost of Pepperdine. Then he moved on to be the chair of the communication division for many years, and then when they moved, um, he began teaching communications at Lubbock Christian. So he loves working with the students and teaching. So she has a great, great husband. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Emily, and she's going to do the first part, and I'm going to do the second part. And then we're going to ask you to, for feedback. <laughs> Thank you. Very lovely. <laughs> I appreciate it. It is odd to not be standing and looking at each other. Yeah. Thank you for coming again. Um, our topic is uh, dancing is dancing shoes, step, stepping wholeheartedly into your future. And I think uh, the dancing shoes in uh, intimates joy. And come in, come, come in, in. Lots of seats. We're just getting started. Um, and I I looked. For, I looked for books with dancing in the title uh, because there's so much joy, especially in Paul, who had no reason to be <laughs> joyful on the outside. Uh, but there's so much joy in Scripture in the midst of hard things. Um, and one of my favorite stories, and one of yours too, is Esther. And uh, not that she, I, I don't know if she danced or not. She probably did. But um, I just think about her bravery. I, I think about Sarah when I think about Esther because she was, she, she had hard jobs and Sarah has had hard jobs and uh, she had to be strategic, she had to be wise, uh, and she had to be gracious all at the same time. But really, you know the story of Esther, and you know that Esther, the book, doesn't have the name of God in it. Uh, and, and you wonder, you may be wondering if, if he's in your story, too, if his name is in your book. Um, have you been wondering where he is? Do you feel like he's silent or like he's abandoned you? And are you asking for a certain kind of miracle that he hasn't? provided. I think Esther shows us that he is totally aware of our situation. He is actively involved in ways that we couldn't even begin to imagine. Uh, not until her life was over, probably. I like this uh, poor grammar statement by Ron Dunn, who's a writer. Sometimes the thing that makes us think that God is not at work is the work that God is at. <laughs> Sometimes the thing that makes us think that God is not at work 
is the work that God is at. And I think God was at work in the book of Esther. He's at work today. And I want to just briefly read the passage that you know so well in uh, Esther 4, verse 14, <coughs> 12, and on. And when Mordecai was asking, telling her she had to speak up, and she didn't want to at first, um, but she, he said, don't think just because you live in the king's house that you're the one Jew that will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. God is at work. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. That's the message um, translation. Just such a time as this. And she decides that that's her only option. And it's so fascinating to me that she first asked everyone to fast for her. She said, fast for me for three days. And if you will do this, then I'll go to the king. And if, and if I die, I die. God is at work through normal circumstances as well as uh, miraculous ones. Miracles are rare. And there's nothing supernatural in Esther. But God was at work behind the scenes. Um, Daniel Schaefer wrote a book about Esther called, I want to give him credit, Dancing with the Shadow. And uh, he said, it, he may be out of our sight, but we are never out of his. That's so true of Esther. Mm -hmm. And being in an uncomfortable position, which she was, doesn't mean you're not exactly where God wants you to be. Um, I think of uh, this, uh, in the last, we've been in Lubbock now seven years after being here 20, and uh, one, of the tr one of the things that has surprised me in, in my life is a difficult um, relationship uh, in, in my work life and it just took me by surprise and because I thought I was I thought I had other problems I thought I knew what the problems were I didn't know half and it's so interesting it's not interesting it's excruciating to think about what I've been through with this relationship reading books about trying to figure this person out, trying to figure out what I should say. I mean, I have a file this thick of, of things I've written down to say and crossed out. My husband has listened to me for hours and hours and hours. And, I, and Sarah has too. And given me advice that I could not do or would not do. Um, but it is a, it is all God has been at work behind the scenes in all of this on me on me <laughs> in me I didn't want to be worked on so uh, I just I'm just now uh, recent well quite some time ago really I had been praying and God gave me an opening to speak uh, kindly and to try to make this better. And um, it was a, it, I, I think of it as a miracle, but he, but he was behind the scenes. And the, and the situation changed because of this conversation. And as soon as, as soon as the situation changed, as soon as that conversation was over, I went out and bought myself a dozen balloons. <laughs> Nobody know, even knows what happened. Nobody knows the answer except Sarah and Steve. But I just think, I've got to celebrate because this is a miraculous thing. And they were helium balloons, which helium is getting to be rare, you know. <laughs> and when they lost their helium, I have all those little pitiful balloons hanging in my prayer closet because I don't want to ever forget mm. that that really happened. God was at work behind the scenes. He rescued me in ways, in a way I didn't want to be rescued. Did things I didn't want him to do. He's still doing things with my figuring it out. But I just want to encourage you that 
Um, Esther was not ready for this. She was not mature enough for this call. She didn't know what to do. And as it was going on, she, she um, used the wisdom of the Lord to uh, save her people. And you may not be saving a whole people, but you probably, you may, I, I think I, I was saving myself in figuring out, still figuring out, not done yet. Um, and this reminds me, this suffering that Esther was going through in order to have the joy of salvation and get your dancing shoes on, reminds me of Tim Hansel who is with the Lord now, but you may remember that he started Summit Expeditions. Yeah, come in, please. Yeah, he started Summit Expeditions where because he just, he was one of the pioneers in, um, you know, walking from one tree to the next on a single rope, which I tried to do, you know, being hooked up to things <laughs> where if you fall, that catches you. But he just believed in the teamwork lessons that being in the wilderness and survival lessons uh, gave you. And he started Summit Expeditions, and at one point, he was just, he just loved risk, and he loved God, and he loved nature, and he was out with three guys in the Sierras, and they were climbing, and they were eating lunch at 14,000 feet. <coughs> and that afternoon, he said, accidents happen in the late afternoon because you're tired, and you're kind of elated about the progress you've made earlier in the day. And he slipped, and he fell hundreds of feet, landed on his back. Um, he, his friend watched him from a bridge, and he was stunned at first, and then he sat up for a few minutes, and then he got up, and he walked back to camp, and he, they, they had eight, it was eight hours out to their cars where from where they were. He walked out. He said, "I kind of felt shorter than I had been." He was six feet tall. <laughs> he said, "I felt shorter," but he said, I, "And then the he, they had to spend the night on the way next day." He said, "I kind of felt like I had a migraine all over my body," but he kept going, and he and his. He just, his friends just said, it's a miracle that you didn't get killed. It's a miracle that you can walk. And he could. And he, he got in the car. He, they took turns driving, let people off on the way. And he was the last one, so he, had, he drove the car home. He had a little one-year-old boy. He said to his wife, I'm back. He wasn't going to tell her that he'd fallen. And he said, how's Zach, our son? Then they, they talked, they visited, they went to bed. He woke up screaming in what he called outrageous pain. And he never was pain-free again for 35 years until his death. And he said just having, adjusting to living in that outrageous pain, chronic, debilitating pain. He wrote, he wrote about five books. Two of them have the word dancing in them because he was so fearless, fearlessly determined, fiercely determined to live in Christ, to live a joyful life in spite of his pain. He kept on doing outdoor things. I mean, it, you just read about his life, it just makes me ache to think about his continuing. But inside, he was very realistic about the pain, but he wanted to get... He wanted to go beyond it. He wanted to, uh, he didn't want it to control him. And he lists in one of his books dancing lessons that he had. And he learned from his pain that you, pain gives you a lot of fatigue. And you know that, don't you? You feel drained, you feel used up. Pain makes you self-preoccupied uh, with yourself. And he said, pain is really a shared experience. And I think it's interesting. I don't know what happened to his first wife. Um, nobody tells that, but he did have two wives. I think one of them just couldn't take it. But it's a shared experience. Everybody's affected by it. Pain um, 
makes you feel guilty for having pain. And he says, nobody benefits from your guilt. Pain makes you depressed. You're normal if you're depressed in pain. It's inevitable. It's a product of trauma. Um, get help. Talk to people. Get medication if you need it. And then pain confuses you and makes you indecisive. Do you find that too? Um, so you've got to be still. And he was big on being still in the mornings with scripture. And I'm going to talk about those pictures that I gave you in a minute. Uh, and he quotes T.S. Eliot, who said, In the stillness is the dancing. In the stillness is the dancing. He said, if you, if you can be still before everything rushes in, uh, in your life, then you're, you can think in the pain. You can, you can get into the pain and not let it be, not let it overcome you, not let it uh, debilitate you. He's amazing. He's, he's exceptional, I think. He really worked at this Galatians passage where you're crucified with Christ in Galatians 2. And I love this. Um, and I hope you do too, but he said, I ask a woman, because he asked people all the time, what, what's the secret? What should I be doing? And he said, I ask a saintly woman, why, if my old nature has been crucified with Christ, with Christ, does it keep on wiggling? <laughs> and he said, she said in a quiet voice, you must remember, Tim, that crucifixion is a slow death. And he found it to be that way, too. His will, what his will was slow to come alive into Christ. Uh, that passage in Galatians uh, you you know it, but in the message it says, I identified myself completely with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion to the Galatians. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that, Paul said. Um, God is the one who turns our mourning into dancing, and Hansel found that it was important to look for joy, to, to notice what God was doing. Um, he quoted the quote, the thing you've probably heard, that you are straining to look for God in life, one, uh, an older guy said, but I cannot help but see God in my life. And Hansel really tried to look for God in his life. Um, in, in John 16, you remember the mourning, the sorrow was turned to joy. And he testifies that his sorrow was turned joy. One of the, the things he realized um, kind of late, I mean he keeps a diary and it's excruciating to read but it, kind of ten years in he said I realized I didn't know enough scripture. I thought I knew scripture but I didn't know enough scripture. And he said I, I want to know scripture experientially. I don't want to know scripture just by memory although I think that is pretty good. Um so he decided, I'm going to pick one scripture and I'm going to commit my life. And he picked Psalm 23. I'm going to commit my life to understanding. And he, he just picked Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He said, I'm going to spend 50 years. And he did. Understanding this scripture. He just focused on it. He, he talked about just the word the and what it meant. The Lord is my shepherd. So I really gave, I gave you the scriptures just as an experiment because they're pretty pictures. I have a friend who made these photos and does put scriptures on them. If you don't like what you got, I have more. Uh, you can trade it in. 
But I just thought that would be a way to turn your morning into dancing, I think, um, by spending 50 years, just the first 50 years that you have right now, starting right now, on what if you just focused on this one scripture to understand it, to live it, to say it, to meditate on it, to think about it when you wake up in the morning. I shall not want for renewal in my life. I shall not want for courage in my life. I shall not want for joy in my life. I shall not want for mercy in my life. So I think um, I'm, I'm kind of the opener for Sarah, which I just love. And she's got more on hope. But I, but I do hope that you are encouraged to live, live in one scripture. Downsize your your horrendous expectations for yourself. Thank you, Emily. That's perfect. And so inspiring as always. Um, that's just such an inspiring story and it ties in really well with with what I want to share, because my whole goal this morning is to encourage you in your hope and in your faith, and that's that's my goal today with you, uh, to for you to help see that God knows you, that He sees where you are, that He's called you, that He's at work in you, and that whatever's happening to you, and or, or around you, or within you is God is a, is a part of it, and God is working for your good so that all works for good in your life because he knows you and he loves you, and you are special to him. That's, that's what I hope you'll uh, come away with today because that's, that's what I'm trying to bathe myself in, in that truth um, today. So I'm, I'll start a little bit with my own story, and I have to wear my glasses, but they're kind of messed up, so I'm kind of going back and forth, so have patience with me. But I'll tell you a little bit about my own story, and most of you know it, just because it'll help, I think, to anchor some of the things that I'm going to follow up with. Um, But if you have been in my classes, I always kind of tell you about how hard my job is. (laughs) I don't want to be a whiner, but the good thing about my job is it really, I raise money for Pepperdine, and it it forces me to really trust God and walk with the Lord. Um, And even though I love Pepperdine and I'm passionate about Pepperdine and I'm (coughs) happy to advance Pepperdine, the day-to-day challenge of being a fundraiser is really hard for me. Um, Just the the constant traveling, the pressure of hitting my fundraising goals, raising the amount of dollars I need to raise every year to be held accountable as a fundraiser, Uh, the perpetual demand to sit across the table from someone and ask them to give money. That is out of my comfort zone. I don't enjoy that. Um, So that's hard for me. So it's challenging, and Kim Barkas is here, and she's also a fundraiser, so she relates, and Karen as well. Um, But it's challenging, and it... um, it is lonely at times. Uh, it sounds romantic and it's kind of exotic. You get to travel, you get to rent cars, you get to stay mm-hmm. in hotels, but it's really a grind <laughs> and it's hard. And I think um, what's hard about it is, you know, so often, like I remember so well, uh, being in Mini- Min- uh, Min- what is it? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, in January, in the snow, in a rent-a-car, trying to find the home of some parents that I was going to visit, and then having a dinner with them, and then coming home to, uh, coming back to the hotel at La Quinta, you know, in, sorry, yeah, Kathy, no, she makes those arrangements for me gratefully, so, um, so we're trying to save money here, Kathy. So I'm staying at the La Quinta, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night, I'm exhausted, I don't feel like it went that well, I don't think maybe either they can give or they're going to want to give, and I'm just beginning the relationship with them. 
And so I'm eating my M&Ms in bed, watching, you know, 11 o'clock movies, and just thinking, is this what God wants me to be doing with my life, with all the talent, all the gifts, all the, all the opportunities he's giving me? Am I really supposed to be at the La Quinta tonight in Minneapolis for Pepperdine? It just, sometimes it just doesn't seem right. Um, so I'm, I question that, and I wonder if you've ever felt that way about where your life is. Um, so I take comfort in the story of Moses in Exodus, and I've read it recently, and I can relate to him so well, especially his desert period, <laughs> where if you'll remember his story, I mean, Moses had such a miraculous start, right? He he was in the weeds and, I mean, in the, yeah, reeds and the river. I don't know if it was the Nile or what, but anyway, it was somewhere in Egypt. And uh, the Israelites were slaves, and they were, and his sister was there taking care of him because Pharaoh had ordered that all male babies be killed in that area that were Israelites because they were becoming too popular, too much, uh, too many people, too many males. They were getting nervous. They were going to take over. So they were had ordered all, I think, all males under two, which is just so horrendous when you think about it, but it's very similar when Jesus was born. Um, so his sister saves him, and then Pharaoh's daughter, you know, finds the baby and it has, loves the baby and wants to raise the baby. So he's miraculously saved out of that situation and raised in uh, Pharaoh's <coughs> palace and with all those opportunities and all those advantages and probably a fantastic education, unlike other Israelites in his uh, world. And, uh, and then everything goes sideways because in his passion to do the right thing, he's protecting one of his Israelite brothers from the abuse of an Egyptian uh, you know, master. And, and, he, and Moses, in doing this heroic thing, kills this Egyptian. And then when Pharaoh hears, he is a wanted man. He is a, a, a murderer. So he has to run for his life, because other, otherwise he, will, he is going to be killed. And so he runs for, for his life into a foreign country called Midian, and he finds himself an absolute nobody in this desert. And he takes refuge, a family takes him in after he's helping, he helps the daughters with um, their need for water. And he's in a, a foreign country, the family takes him in, he ends up marrying one of the daughters of this landowner. And, uh, but he's living in a foreign country, probably a foreign language, definitely a different religion, they don't believe in his God. And he is an absolute nobody. Nobody knows or cares that he was raised in Pharaoh's home. Um, and he lives there long enough, kind of working for his father-in-law as a shepherd in the desert, uh, that he, he, when he, he's married and it says he has several children. So he lives there multiple years. And don't you know, he thought, God has forgotten me. God doesn't know where I am. Um, I am, I have, my life has gone sideways in a multitude of ways. I don't know how it happened. I thought I was a good guy, but here I am. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in one of his mundane days, when he's watching the sheep out in the desert, he sees a burning bush, right? God miraculously enters into his mundanity. And the bush, the angel of the Lord speaks to him, the angel called to him out of the bush, and Moses says, here I am. He responds. And Moses is instructed to take his sandals off and told that on this mundane day, this average day, you are on holy ground. Take your sandals off. God has shown up in your life. We know God was there all along, like Emily was saying. God saw him all along, had his hand on his life, even through the murder, through all of that. He did not abandon Moses. He had his hand on him. And he said, Moses, I'm going to use all the opportunities and gifts I've given you, and I'm calling you to a big job. I want you to lead all the Israelites out of captivity. Captivity, and I think there were like two million <coughs> in captivity in Egypt. I'm going to use you. And he responded. Of course, Moses responded as we so often do, and I hear myself responding in my call by <coughs> a hard job. I can't do this. You've got the wrong guy. This must not be my call because this is way too uncomfortable. 
and too miserable for me. So either I'm not hearing God or you've got the wrong person or because I'm not up to this job. And that's what Moses says. And he just keeps questioning. And he says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God's response is so simple and so powerful. And he says it to us, but, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And it's in God's in God's in patience and his dialogue now with Moses, he gives him two miraculous signs to prove. He turns his member, his staff, into a serpent, and says, "You'll take this, and this will be my uh, staff, my powerful staff for you." And then he turns his hand leprous when he puts his hand in his sheath, comes out leprous. He puts it back in and he heals it. So God demonstrates to him. I'm going to be powerful. And then God, if you'll read the scripture, goes through and tells him exactly what's going to happen. These people are, Pharaoh's going to be hard-headed. The people are going to be hard-hearted. They are not going to say yes. It's not going to be easy. But I'm going to go before you and I'm going to show miraculous signs and they're going to let you go. So God clearly knows the future. He has clearly gone before Moses and done it. He just says, I want you just to be my instrument. Just do what I'm saying to do in confidence, is what he's saying to Moses. And Moses just keeps saying, I can't do it. You've got the wrong guy. I am not eloquent. I can't speak. I can't talk to Pharaoh. How many times do we do that to God? I do it all the time. This is not in my comfort level. I cannot ask for money. I cannot do this job. And God keeps saying to Moses, I have gone before you. I have fought these battles but you need to step out in faith and obedience because I've called you to this work. So Moses, but it, it, we can relate in that all those years in the desert, my assumption is he'd lost his hope. He'd lost his faith that God was with him. And he was really having a hard time getting up to speed with God. He doubted God's word because his heart had really gotten hardened and discouraged. His faith was weak. Um, so, I relate to that too, as I'm sure many of you do, that as we pray for reassurance in our work, sometimes we don't hear God's voice, um, and I need a lot of reassurance, and that's where Emily helps me, and Kim, and Kathy, and Karen, and they come and help me to restore my faith that I am doing the right thing. I want a way out. I want relief. I want to get out. And I've prayed that a lot of times. Lord, please open another door for me to do a different job. I've done this enough. It's hard. It's too hard. I don't like it. I hate getting refused. I hate um, getting turned down. It's very painful for me. Um, I want everybody to say yes, that I'll write you a check. I want to win all the time if this is really what you've called me to do. And God says, hey, that is not life. You know, I'm still with you even when you're turned down, and even when you get discouraged. Doesn't mean I haven't called you to it. Um, um, And I think, you know, through the years, I've done this for 15 years now, and God has been faithful. So often God has done done miraculous things, and I've stood back and go, amazing, this guy's going to give a million dollars. Amazing, this man wants to give five million dollars. I don't know how that happened, but God somehow used me in the the equation to make that happen because that was God's will to bless Pepperdine in his work here. So um, I have really seen his hand so often. Um, and I think I think just this you know tap on the shoulder by Jim Gash now to say I want you to be the chancellor is very rewarding to me and it's kind of like if I had given up I wouldn't have this opportunity to have a have more influence to work directly with the president to work with Tim Perrin to have more opportunity to raise bigger dollars for Pepperdine and I'm so excited for the opportunity and I just think I'm glad I didn't bail (laughs) two years ago when I wanted to I'm glad I didn't come home this many times I've told Sam I'm gonna quit I have to quit I can't do this and he just goes, you know, do what you need to do. But Emily would always say to me, don't bail until you know God really has 
told you to leave and there's another open door um, you know just be faithful until you really hear God saying no I want you here so I have done that and because of that faithfulness and people helping me to be strong uh, I'm in the position for this opportunity to serve at a greater level and so I'm very very thankful and I hope I, I hope you take encouragement from that, just that God knows where we are, even when we don't feel him. When facing disappointments and confuse, confusion, we have to choose to lean on him. And that's one of the things I want to talk about is our choices every day about our attitude. I like Christine Kane uh, because she's so scripture-centered and Christ-centered. And um, so Emily and I went to a one-day conference of hers, and I, loved, I really, really have been blessed by this book unexpected. Uh, it's just all about when life brings you unexpected things, hardships, surprises, disappointments. God is there and look for him and uh, lean on him. And she tells about this woman named Lori Ann who really has struggled with infertility for 10 years and had several miscarriages and tried IVF and all that and really a strain on her marriage and um, but just the heartbreak of praying and praying, and many of you either have experienced this or know people who have suffered with infertility, the heartbreak of it. And she talks about Lorianne and, and how after 10 years of struggling, her dreams had really died of being a mother. And, um, you know, disappointment is just part of life. Either the baby we wanted that we didn't get to have, the marriage that ended that we put our heart into, the business venture that failed, the ministry that we we believe God was calling us to but just didn't work, and then or the job opportunity that didn't materialize. And in shattered moments, we feel forsaken, we feel alone, we feel like, where was God? Why weren't my prayers answered? And Christine Kane says, hopelessness can leave us wanting to pull back and rewrite the rest of our lives in a smaller safer story than the adventurous one God originally planned for us. We want to pull back in our unbelief. But if we can refuse that temptation and not let our hearts get hardened toward God, as scripture promises when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us because we hold on to the truth. And I put this in your handout that God is good, God does good, and God wants to do good for me and for us. His intention toward us is good. And Leanne's story, the girl who struggled with infertility said, I knew that my God was a God of hope and a God of destiny. I knew enough to know that I could not let hopelessness be what destroyed me. I could not let my heart spiral out of control. I had to press into God and trust him. And that's a choice. And that's a hard choice when you've been so disappointed. Our belief and our faith gets battered as we go through life. And if we're not careful, our hearts get hard. Deep down, we don't really believe God is for us. We don't believe he's going to answer our prayers and that he's true to his promises today. Um, and Hebrews 3, 7 warns us of that. There, he says, therefore, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Take care, brothers lest there be any of you with an unbelieving, evil heart leading you to fall away from the living God. See, so we see that they are unable to enter the rest because of their disbelief. And he talks about, uh, you know, just the disbelief of the Israelites and how they weren't able to enter their rest and wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their hard hearts and, and disbelief. Um, Satan uses our fear, our disappointment, our sense of loss to steal our faith. He lies to us. And our own desires to do it our way, to return to the comfortable, like the Israelites, to return to Egypt, to the familiar and the comfortable, rather than following hard after God when we're disappointed. So we have to be on our guard, and I have to be on my guard not to have disbelief and a hardened heart and just say, you disappointed me before, I'm not gonna step out in faith again, uh, because that, that is not the way of faith. We wanna walk in faith. And my last point today, and I have it on your handout, is I love um, 
the concept in Zechariah about being a prisoner of hope, and I've been focusing on that, and I hope you will too, to be a prisoner of hope. When the prophet called the Israelites prisoner of, of hope, they had had 70 years of, uh, in captivity in Babylon, and the enemy had uh, really pillaged their homeland. It kind of reminds me of the pictures we see of the Syrian refugees. Mm -hmm. My husband works with them with World Vision and is helping them, but they are, because of war and well, fear of death, they are fleeing Syria, and they are refugees all over Europe, and they, they are intense, and they are... But Sam was saying that the women, so many of the women, still hold their house keys, hoping to get to go back and open their door. Most of them, it's obliterated in Syria. But those women have their keys. And World Vision says that that's just a common occurrence. They, they hold their keys with hope that they're going to go back. And so the Israelites were like that. They're beautiful area had been destroyed by the Babylonians and the temple, their beloved temple had been destroyed. And Zechariah was sent as a prophet in Zechariah 9 and he says, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. God knew that in the midst of their despair around their profound loss, the only way for them to escape that place of fear and hopelessness was to become prisoners of hope. They'd been prisoners and slaves in Babylon. Now he wanted them to see themselves as prisoners of hope. So often in scripture, we talk in Psalm, they talk about the fortress, that God is our fortress and our stronghold. And I love praise songs that remind us of that. He's our fortress and he's our stronghold. We run into him for shelter. And that is our fortress. That is where we chain ourselves to a God that gives us hope. Um, we want to be captive in that fortress. Christine Kane says, we look beyond our unexpected circumstances to the future that God has good things in store for us because he is a good God. We stay secure in the prison of hope. Um, we, we may not be able to completely silence hopeless thoughts, and I struggle with it every day, hopeless thoughts, fear, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fight, and I said in your handout that it, what did I call it, kind of a fight, remember, um, but you'll look, you'll look it up, um, but it is a battle, it's a ruthless fight, sometimes a minute-by-minute minute battle in our mind to stay as prisoners of hope and faith, so we daily choose to be a prisoner of hope, to speak hope, and not voice anxiety and fear. We choose to give hope a voice rather than fear and anxiety, rather than talking about what we're afraid of, how, you know, I could really get into, I'm scared of failing, I'm scared, what if I fail as chancellor? What if I don't raise enough money? You know, I can really go down that path fast, fast especially when I'm first waking up in the morning. It's like, ah, what have I done? Maybe I should resign now before the announcement goes out, <laughs> you know. But, um, but I just say, I am going to walk in faith and not fear. God has been faithful to me in the past. I trust him to be faithful to me in the future, in this new calling, in this new role. We choose to be people of hope, to use words of hope in a world where, where people desperately need hope. I believe, we say, I believe in God. I believe that God's answering my prayers. I am trusting him for this. He is faithful. He is a good God. Um, we serve a God who restores, who redeems, who gives new beginnings. And that's, that's what we need to bathe ourselves in every day and surround ourselves with people of faith because they will speak that into our lives. They will affirm that for us. And that's why the Bible lectures is so great. It builds our faith. Listening to sermons, going to church, listening to praise music, to bathe our minds in faith and hope and deliberately choose to walk in hope and belief. That is what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and God rewards our faith. I am, I am testimony to that. He saw me in the desert. He has seen me 
uh, when I when I'm in the La Quinta in Minneapolis and feel alone, uh, <coughs> eating my M and M's. Uh, he he sees me and he has blessed me, and I know that he has a special call on each of our lives to uh, do his will and his bidding. And we need to be people of faith and hope. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I just gave, this is just for you to take home, but I think it's a good process for you to have as you reflect on this week, maybe next week during a devotional time for you, uh, to read the scriptures and to answer these questions. Personalize this for yourself. Where, where do you struggle with disappointment and the hardening of a heart because you've been disappointed? And what steps can you take to become a, better, a prisoner of hope and abide in his promises? And who can you partner with in your life? Prayer partner, a supportive partner. Emily's my partner. Kim, Karen, uh, Kathy are my partners in hope and in faith. And what, what do you hear speaking? God speaking to you today, and what is your prayer today? Um, I think those are important questions. Okay, it's only 20 after. I Would anybody like to have, make a comment or share uh, along this line? Yeah. And then you mentioned the prayer closet, and that was interesting to me. Did you well, I I love the war room movie, and I so I cleaned out my closet in my study, and I put an exercise ball in there, which I don't use for any other purpose anyway. And, uh, it's easy to sit on that instead of sitting on the floor, and I can just put post-it notes all over the place and keep. I mean, it's messy. Keep my cards. Keep my devotional book. I can sit in there for a long time and be still, and it's just a place that I can go hide, and, and my Bible's in there, and it's a comfort to me. To, lots of answered prayers are in there, and lots of unanswered prayers are in there. Yeah, continuing to pray. <laughs> many, many things in our family. Any other comments? Just in yeah. Thank you so much for the um, Knowing Scripture experiential. Oh. I have never I know I've never Knowing prayer experientially. Wow. Instead of just memorizing it, both yeah. are good. good. But um, that experientially, and these cards are fantastic. Yeah, so so thank really you for these touchstones. Yeah, those really. cards, Tracy oh, Payne. Good she's, stuff. She's a, she's a believer. Mm. Any other comments before we close? Yes. I just think, as God women, self-talk. <coughs> is important. <coughs> and um, you didn't say that term. Yeah. But that's what you're doing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm doing. So, self talk and memorizing scripture and listening to good praise music. And, and we could, who was the guy that said, get behind? Oh, didn't Jesus? He said, yeah, get behind, get behind me. me, Satan. That's yeah. right. We, we can gotta, do the same thing. It's a battle. That's right. We <laughs> do it. Okay, let's, let's end and let's close in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful that you are a faithful God and a good God. And you do see us and that you've uniquely gifted each one of us, Lord, for a, a holy purpose on this earth. Help us to walk into it, Lord, to move into it, to lean into you and to your promises, and to walk by faith and not by fear, mm -hmm. to be prisoners of hope every day, to choose hope and choose faith. Lord, help us to take every thought captive for Christ and for your glory. And uh, help us to encourage each other in that, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. I pray your blessing on each person here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I did remember one thing I was going to say. Okay. And maybe everybody's heard this, but don't let anyone or anything steal your joy. Oh, oh. God.